Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When you're smiling. Hey, you. Bubbly sparkling water is crisp, refreshing, and perfect for any occasion. Kind of like my voice, but in a can. No calories, no sweeteners, all smiles. Bubbly. Crack a smile. This episode is brought to you by Google. Google's two-step verification was built to secure your account and help prevent cyber attacks, even if your password is compromised. That's why Google has made it easy to sign into your account with this additional layer of protection. Just one tap and you're in. Learn more at safety.google. Hello, movie lovers. Welcome to the Best Damn Movie Related Show here on the internet. This is Joe, as always, from Movie Lovers Unite, John DeGorio. For today's podcast, I'm going to be doing my 31 Days of Horror review. And this, believe it or not, this is actually day 21 now of the 31 Days of Horror. And I'm going to be talking about a little movie that came out in 1989 that's written and directed by none other than Wes Craven. Then I'm going to do my Dr. Doolittle trailer review, the RDJ remake of Dr. Doolittle dropped today, and I'm going to talk about that. Then I'm going to follow it up with Netflix's Raising Dion. This is actually a nine-part episode series that's on Netflix right now, and I'm going to go on ahead and do a little bit of a non-spoiler review for it. I haven't watched the whole entire season to actually do a full review on it, but I'm actually going to do a full review after I watch the rest of the episodes. But I'm just going to tell you what I'm sold on right now as of watching the first four episodes. So I'm going to talk about that. Then after that, I'm going to go with Star Gil Simpson, Sound and Fury. This is actually a little anime thing that they actually dropped on Netflix. As a matter of fact, Star Gil Simpson didn't even want to do a movie or anime or anything like that to this soundtrack or anything like that. And it became a thing to where Netflix was like, hey, look... We love the soundtrack and everything. We want to do an anime based off of the album. And now, next thing you know it, it became a soundtrack. So, I'm going to talk about that. And so, let's go ahead and get into this thing. So, it's day 21, like I mentioned before, of the 31 Days of Horror. This is a movie called Shocker. And this movie came out in 1989. It's written and directed by Wes Craven. And if you don't know who Wes Craven is, he's the guy who made Nightmare on Elm Street. He also made The Last House on the Left. He also made... Um, the Hills of Eyes. He made an X amount of other movies and stuff like that. So anyways, it's about a TV repairman who's a serial killer and he gets captured for a series of crimes that he committed and faces execution by the electric chair. But a deal with the devil allows him to come back as electricity. Once he changes into 
his new form, Pinker goes after the detective, by, played by Michael Murphy, and goes after his adopted son, Jonathan, played by Peter Berg. Jonathan has a connection with Pinker through his dreams, and that's how he gets caught. So, I know the premise might seem kind of, you know, corny what's and everything, but I'm going to be honest with you. In the 1980s and everything, there was a lot of cheesy 1980s flavor horror movies that came out. This will be one of them. But what I love about this whole entire dynamic is the fact that you have this serial killer who's killing these other people. And then you also have Jonathan, who's actually the police detective's son, adoptive son. And he's having these dreams about Pinker murdering these this family. And he has this kind of psychic, psyche ability to where he can actually see where Pinker is going and everything. He winds up having dreams about Pinker. And next thing you know, Pinker gets caught. And then, you think after he gets caught and everything, he winds up, that will be the end of him. But no, that's not the case. Instead, he winds up making the deal with the devil, like I mentioned at the synopsis that I actually mentioned. And he makes a deal with the devil. He winds up coming back from the dead and as electricity and goes, get this, this guy can actually travel through your TV sets. He can travel through your phone lines and kill you and make it look like it was an electrical accident and stuff like that. And then, get this, he even the whole entire plot premise also revolves around Jonathan as well because he's having these nightmarish dreams, especially with his ex-girlfriend that was actually killed by Pinker and everything. And he's still having these dreams like he can actually feel Pinker's presence. He can actually feel like this is not over yet. There's got to be something more to what's going on with him. And I actually like that aspect where, you know, there's got to be more to Pinker than what it actually is because I'm still feeling this kind of way, but I don't know what's going on. Then once he figures out it's still Pinker, but he can travel through people's bodies as well and actually use them as a way to actually kill people too and set people up or he can use them to be able to kill people and then also kill them later on because they only he's only using them as a host. He can only stay in a body for so long before he has to go on head. And once that host actually uses up, is done, he goes into the next body and then jumps into another body, then jumps into another one. But there's just something scary about a guy coming out of your TV set and coming to kill you. And he's a serial killer. And he can also use electric uh, electricity to actually kill you. And I, like I said, I know this premise may seem kind of corny or whatever, but for the 1980s, it actually worked out well. I also like the fact that they used Alice Cooper's No More Mr. Nice Guy in this movie. That was actually one of my favorite Alice Cooper songs from the 1980s. I was only I was only like four or five years old when this movie came out. But then a couple of years later, I winded up watching it and stuff like that. And I real that really got me into like the Alice Cooper music and stuff like that. And for them to use Alice Cooper whenever the police detective is chasing down Jonathan because Horse Pinker is actually chasing after Jonathan in that body and that, that music is playing. It glues you in to this movie, even though it's cheesy and it has some cheesiness to it. It knows what it is. It knows what kind of movie it is. And it knows that this is not a movie to be taken seriously, but you're on the edge of your seat wondering how is this even going to end with, with Jonathan and Pinker. But once everything comes to a close and everything, I have to say this. This is actually a little bit of a non-spoiler review and everything because even though this movie's been out for a while, I'd rather go on ahead and do a non-spoiler review for it, which is why I'm not telling you how it actually ends. 
But the way it ends and everything is perfect to the point where you don't actually need a sequel. Because the story has been told. There's no more story to be told with Pinker or Jonathan. It wraps up smoothly. It wraps up really good. The only thing I wish that I think that they could actually do better on now is probably the effects that they wanted to reboot it or do something different with it. And I'm fine with remakes or reboots and everything as long as you go on ahead and make a movie not the same type of movie that you made originally because that's what I like about reboots. And reboots are like cover songs. Some of them are good, some of them are bad. In the end, some people will actually go in and check out the original cover song. Some people might actually check out the original Shocker movie and be, and they might like that one better than the remake or the reboot. But there's no remake or reboot or anything like that, so don't worry about that part. But as far as this horror movie goes, I love it. I love the writing. I love what Wes Craven did with this film during the time of the 1980s. And Wes Craven is still is today one of the best horror directors and writers of this time besides John Carpenter. But, you know, like I said, if you like horror movies, if you like uh, things dealing with serial killers and a little bit of psyche kind of abilities and stuff like that to tracking down a serial killer, this movie is actually going to be for you. I recommend it, highly recommend it for you for Halloween. So if you guys like that movie, let me know if you like it. Let me know if you don't like it. I'm going to have the voice uh, mail thing to where you can actually send in your voicemail and stuff like that. So that way you can tell me what you guys think. So, let's go on ahead and get into the Dr. Doolittle review. Now, this is actually the, a remake of the 1960s and 1998 and 2001 Dr. Doolittle movie. It's been remade, it's been redone over and over again, but this time with Robert Downey Jr. as Dr. Doolittle. Now, I love what Disney did with this trailer because of the fact that it's re... Instead of them going ahead... And making this re-modernize it all over again, just like with the Eddie Murphy movies. They're making it back into the old 1960s kind of Dr. Doolittle that I actually knew as well. And also, too, the voyage of the Dr. Doolittle book that I actually read in 5th or 6th grade for a celebrated reading class. And I fell in love with the book. And to see this actually adapted from the book over into the actual movie that Robert Downey Jr. is playing in makes me even more excited because of the fact that you have a snarky Dr. Doolittle, which is something that was actually captivated inside the book. And Robert Downey Jr., if you know him as Iron Man, Tony Stark, he's good at playing snarky characters, especially whenever he plays lawyers in the movie uh, the, the Judge, which is actually one of the underrated movies that he played in, which bombed at the movie theaters. But I highly recommend that if you want to get a mindset on how snarky he can actually be. But... I like the fact that they're going back to the drawing boards, like I said before, of the old 1960s classic look to it. And not only that, but the humor actually works in it. The special effects are more up to date in this movie. You can actually feel the presence of Dr. Doolittle in this thing. And like I said, RDJ is a perfect choice for this movie because of how snarky he is. He can actually play a snarky person. And like I said, this movie, for the first time for, for a trailer... To drop today and everything. I'm sold on it. I'm sold as a trailer. Even though I think this movie's going to be good. I've seen trailers to good movies before. And they wind up sucking. Just how I see bad movies. Uh, bad bad trailers to good movies and everything. They wind up being good. So anyways. I think that this movie has a shot at being good. But we're just going to have to wait and see. But I liked, I actually like seeing this kind of version of Dr. Doolittle. But anyways, that's how I like this uh, 
this version of Dr. Doolittle. I think it's going to be fantastic. Robert Downey Jr. always kills it in his roles. I think he's going to be fantastic. But, like I said, we're just going to have to wait and see. As for a trailer itself, I'm even more excited about this. So, let's go on ahead and talk about Netflix's new show, Raising Dion. Now, Raising Dion is an original movie, uh, original TV show on Netflix. And what I like about this is, it's not based off any superhero, no Marvel movie, no DC property, no Image Comics, no Dark Horse Comics, or anything like that. It's its own thing, and that's what I like about this. Because of the fact that they can do whatever they want with this character and actually develop it the way they need to develop these characters and to get them fleshed out. So, let me give you a little bit of the premise of what the plot is actually about. Like I said, I'm only in episode 4, so there's not going to be a lot of uh, full-on review for this. Not until I actually watch all the episodes for this thing, but let's go in and get into this. So, you have this mother who's a single mother. And she must hide her young son's superpowers from the exploitations while investigating their origins and her husband's death. So, like I, like I mentioned before, I love this show because of how real it is. I love that you can actually connect with these characters in some way. Because everybody lost a loved one at some point in time. Everyone, lost, uh, everyone also lost someone at some point in time. Then you also have to balance out being a single parent for their son and either if you're a single parent uh mother or father you know how it's bad how hard it is to actually juggle both at one time especially when you're dealing with a lot with their with your kids so i like that aspect i like how real it actually is because this mother is actually trying everything she can to better herself better her son and give him the proper education that he needs even though the father's not around anymore which is actually played by, by michael b jordan and everything he's in a couple of uh, flashbacks and everything else but the jump on uh, the flashbacks and everything else with his character is really good it actually gives you a dynamic of who this character is and where he comes from and also to with the company that he's working for and how much he loves his wife and how much he loves his kid and like I said she's juggling a lot at one time with trying to focus in on trying to get another job and also trying to get the better education for her son but like I said, I'm only on episode four, and I'm loving the series so much. The writing is so damn good, and it leaves you wondering how did Dion actually get his powers, while also hitting with you it feels with Michael B. Jordan's um, character being dead. You're wondering also how is the mother and son going to to find balance with their lives, especially with Dion starting a new school and trying to make a friends, and his mother trying to find jobs to support them. And also, too, now she has to tackle on the fact that her son also has superpowers, which also makes her on edge as well because she's trying to cope with that. She's coping with way too much at one time, and she's trying to find some type of balance to where everything can be focused on her son as well as her work and also balance out his school life, too. But, you know, I think that this is actually a perfect show so far. And not only that, but let me just tell you this. John Ritter's son is in this show, and he's just a splitting image of John Ritter. I love his character so much and everything because of, how, because of how he's delivering his lines, how he can relate to this character. He's even trying to be a father-like figure for Dion because of the fact that him and Michael B. Jordan's, Jordan used to be friends and everything that, used, that works with this one company. 
And now he's a, like a father figure for Dion to look up to because they always hang out maybe once a week to geek out over certain things. They go out to a coffee shop. They go out to go out to eat. They geek out over comic books. Dion's asking him questions about comic book characters and stuff like that, about superpowers, telekinesis powers, because of the fact at first he has to keep everything under the grid because he doesn't know who to trust or anything. But Pat... The, uh, Pat is the character's name that that is played by John Ritter's son and it gives him a chance to actually open up to Pat a lot more because he's trying to figure out if he can actually trust Pat or not like he used to before he discovered that he had these powers and without even trying to tell him or anything he's asking him so what about telekinesis what is that oh that's the power that you can use to move certain objects around and stuff like that but Dion's powers go much more above and beyond that point. But I like the fact that Pat is there for him as a friend and trying to help him cope with everything. And that is really cool. But like I said, he seems to be a good father-like figure for Dion. But there's also something, too, that I was wondering about, too. Because after a while, he oh, I'm not going to get into a little bit of spoiler. I'm going to do a little bit of a spoiler thing here. But it also seems to be using Dion for his own selfish needs, too. Because I think he's putting two and two together where he's having these powers. And and basically, he wants to use Dion for those powers because he knows he has them. And he can actually manipulate certain things to actually get his own way. But that's how I'm thinking that Pat is operating. But I could be wrong. I could be wrong about that character because of the fact that... He's also Michael B. Jordan's friend and stuff like that. He's actually trying to look out for his for his friend's son. And, you know, I'm hoping that this is not one of those cases where it's like a paint-by-the-number by the type of thing where the friend winds up backstabbing the kid to get his own selfish needs on what he wants done. But, like I said, I could be wrong. I could be wrong at this whole entire thing, but that's how I'm analyzing it right now because I haven't seen 5 through 9 the rest of the episodes. So I'm only analyzing it based off the fact that I've seen only four episodes and how well the writing is for this thing. So I think that this show is really good. If you're into superhero type of of things, that's an original idea, that's not based off of any other comic book or anything like that, give the show a chance because I'm telling you, you're going to love the show. And it's very relatable. The characters are relatable. It's funny. It's entertaining. It's got some drama in it. It also has some mystery in it. I think that people are actually going to gravitate towards this thing once people start catching on to it just like with Stranger Things. I actually caught on to that show before the popularity of it and then it just grew into this one big old huge pop culture thing. So I'm happy to actually say that I might actually be doing the same thing here with Raising Dion. So anyways, if you love the show Raising Dion, if you just saw this show recently because it just dropped Tell me what you guys think. Did you like Raising Dion? What didn't you like about that show? Like I said, I'll have a link to our voicemail thing to where you can actually send in questions. Tell us what you think about the show or whatever. If you have any questions, I would like to actually answer your questions on the next podcast. So, send those in. Tell me what you guys think. Now I'm going to get into Stargill Simpson Sound of Fury. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not the biggest anime fan or anything like that. I'm a big, huge movie guy and stuff like that, but I have watched a few animes and everything here and there, and I have to say, even though this this thing does not have 
This anime does not have any dialogue. I love, I love how they actually did this. Now, Sergeant Gill actually didn't want to make a anime based off this album. He wanted it just to be a regular album. But Netflix gave him a call. Hey, look, we have an idea for this Netflix show. We can actually use your album as a soundtrack for that anime. So, what do they do? They go on ahead. They do this anime thing. And it's just fantastic. Let me just tell you this. This is like the animated show or movie, Heavy Metal. But the realistic aspect of the anime, of what they use for this show, this movie is really good. I really like the 80s retro style stuff on it. I also love the songs that are actually in the movie itself and everything too. I think this thing is really good. My favorite song off the off of the soundtrack is called Mercury in Retrograde. And it has like this country western type of rock style to it from like the 60s if you actually think about it. But man... The animated style, the way everything is shot, is just fantastic. Matter of fact, I couldn't even tell that these were actually episodes. I just felt like this was one big, huge 40-minute... Yeah, it's only a 40-minute long movie, but I just felt like it was a 40-minute long movie that gave us this thing. I felt like I was actually in Epcot Center in Disney World, and I'm actually... Well, in Orlando, and I'm actually watching an animated style type of thing and this this movie is really good. If you're into animated anime and everything else, I totally recommend this because of how well this anime is actually shot. I think that this is one of the best things I've actually seen in a long time. But I like My Hero Academia. I like um, Van Helsing. I like Death Note, the anime. I like I like those animes and everything. I still need to get into a little bit more anime. But as far as this goes and everything, this is a great original idea. This is a great, great original idea, like I said. The soundtrack is really good. If you haven't checked out the soundtrack, check that out. Because it actually does have a lot more of a rock-type feel to it. It has like a heavy metal-type feel for it when you're watching it. And you can't keep your eyes off of this thing. Especially the Sumerai part is what really gets me. Is the Sumerai part driving in this car. And you're not, and the character's face is not even revealed. This actually... A little bit of a mystery. Is this a girl or is this a guy or what? Who's driving this car? And then this character is actually jumping out of the car. Going over to this emperor. Trying to kill him and everything. There's a lot going on in this anime. Like I said, go ahead and check this out. Let me know what you guys think. Because this is one of the best things I've seen in a very, very long time. So anyways, tell me what you guys think. Did you like my review for Shocker. What didn't you like about my review for Shocker? If you liked the trailer for Dr. Doolittle, tell me what you guys think about that. Also, too, send in some voicemail messages. Tell me what you guys think about this whole entire podcast episode. And, as always, and until next time, bye-bye.